0: Arkansas. Missouri, that was the third. One. No, Missouri oh. was
1: the third one. Remember, Mo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Alaska oh, I... is AK. Sorry. I yeah, it was... yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Sorry. What's yeah. Arkansas? Yeah. AR. AR. Yeah. Don't ask me. I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere nearby.
1: Welcome to Attached a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee.
2: I'm Dr. Sarah Wiz at UT Southwestern. And I'm Dr. Sessa Nagash from San Diego State University.
1: This week, Sarah is bringing us some new science on maternal health and pregnancy led by a team at NYU out of the scientific journal Perspectives on Sexual and Reproductive Health. Ooh, babies. Love them. <laughs> Before we get to it, if you have new research on relationships you want us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. tweet us. Facebook us, Instagram us all at attached podcast, or go straight to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. If you would like to support this little podcast of ours and help us get relationship science out into the world, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash attached and donate. As always, wherever you listen to our podcast, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be, please consider rating it, reviewing it, and of course, subscribing to it. (laughs) All right, let's get into this episode. (laughs) In our last few episodes of Attached, we've done deep dive into new science on love languages, couples alone time, and effects on racism on Black moms and kids' mental health. But today we're going back to the beginning with a focus on where it all begins and new, not the Big Bang, mind you. (laughs) We're not going back to the Big Bang. Um, And new research on pregnancy, specifically on whether a pregnancy is intended or unintended, which is always a huge focus of a lot of conversations and research about policy in the U.S. specifically. Unintended pregnancies are, of course, pregnancies that women do not consider wanted, quote, um, at the time or at all. And there is an early research, a correlation between unintended pregnancies and negative outcomes for moms and babies when the baby is born. But it's been a bit challenging to disentangle why pregnancy intention and worse health outcomes for families are linked. Is it because of the nature of the pregnancy being un- unintended that causes poor health down the road? Or is it because unintended pregnancies are really a proxy for other kinds of disadvantages experienced by moms? In other words, are moms who have less education or lower incomes less likely to have intended pregnancies? And their socioeconomic disadvantage is what actually is tied to worse maternal health and child health. For example, moms who report unintended pregnancies also tend to report less healthy pregnancy experiences, such as less access to prenatal care, experiences of intimate partner violence, or worse mental health. But even those pregnancy experiences don't appear to correlate to worse health for baby over and above socioeconomic status. We also know less about what happens for healthy babies born to unintended pregnancies long-term as kids grow older or even as moms age. Are there long-lasting impacts of pregnancy intention? Dr. Erica Hobby at NYU and her team recently published a new article titled Pregnancy Intentions, Relationships with Infant, Pregnancy, Maternal, and Early Child Outcomes, Evidence from Births in Alaska. Missouri and Oklahoma in the journal perspectives on sexual and reproductive health. And Sarah is just going to walk us right through the study and what they found. Sarah, thanks for bringing this article today. What you got?
0: Yeah, what I think is um really very cool about this study, I mean, I think there's lots of very interesting, very cool things about what this study did, but they're attempting to tease out these causal effects. So, as you shared, Patricia, they uh there is some conflicting findings from earlier research that suggest there maybe is a link between whether pregnancy is intended or not and moms and and babies' health outcomes, Um, but it's really unclear, as you described, whether that is causal, meaning whether a pregnancy being intended or wanted uh, is what is tied to those health outcomes, is what's causing better health outcomes or worse health health outcomes, or whether that's um, just reflective of other kinds of things that are happening in these families um, that are That would therefore be more important to pay attention to, right? So they did this um, using some larger and newer and more representative samples of moms and babies to look at whether this pregnancy intention and the prenatal and early childhood outcomes really are related although uh, a lot of research doesn't find very strong links that that continues to be a persistent either belief or some variations in what research suggests is true about that. And they're also extending that to look at longer term outcomes. So early childhood, not just in infancy, but also longer term outcomes for mom too. And so again, this is really important because some of the earlier research that we lean on in thinking about this pregnancy intention health outcomes link are samples that are either a bit selective, meaning they're maybe using families where there are more than one child that's been born to the family, and some maybe resulting from wanted pregnancies and some from uh, maybe unwanted or unintended pregnancies, which to be fair, even those studies, we don't find ties between whether one child was intended and another child is resulting from a pregnancy Mm. that's unintended. Those kids don't turn out any different from each other which i think is also really important and other samples are sort of selective by you know a single state or just really small and the other thing that the authors point to which i think is really important is that older research or research relying on samples that are older from even the early 2000s is not not really reflective of kind of the current environment of how families form and extend, right? Meaning the Affordable Care Act increased access to contraception as one example of why that would then influence pregnancy rates and how pregnancy occurs, right? And then the recession around 2008 led to a rather preceded huge changes in fertility patterns. Um, And so a decline in unmarried births, in adolescent teen births, for example. So um, there are some historical trends over the last 20 years that mean you really sort of need more current data, which I think is really important. So what they did is they used data from three different states, Oklahoma, Alaska, and Missouri. And I always forget where Missouri is. And then I had to, for myself also, I asked, I asked. Is it the belly? Is it the belly of, oh, that the uh, Kentucky fried chicken chef? Yeah. I was just talking about this last week because I was very deeply confused about where Kansas was. And guess what? It's not where Kentucky (laughs) is. It's in the middle. It's in the very middle. It's in the I, middle. Kansas it's not that far from invo- Texas?
1: It's not. I don't think so. No, is Kansas no, yeah.
0: involved in the chef? No. I don't think, I, okay, I think okay, it'd be his right backpack or something. I don't know. We oh. pulled it up and I was wildly wrong. Uh, but So I knew what you were referring to because we've had to do this before for me. But I did also ask, out of curiosity, I said, Alexa, what's the abbreviation for Missouri? And then I thought, I think I'm getting off track reading this research. Like, why do I need to know that? I don't know.
1: Is it right. ML? All the
0: important details. It's ML. It's mm. not MS. Uh, That's so, Mississippi. Is it? That's
1: good.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, wow. Somebody that's just went good. skipped right on past geography. Oh, yeah. I, I believe that's more call. like
1: post office codes. I don't know if it's like geography.
0: <laughs> well, it's basic life skills, I think, is what Sesson's trying to say appropriately. I also, to be fair, got a wrong call this morning from Milwaukee and it said comma WI. And I said, wait a second, is Milwaukee in Wisconsin? Wisconsin. But it's not, right? <laughs> is it? It's not. No,
2: Milwaukee. Yes, yes it, is. It, is. It, is. it is. It is. Okay, well, it guys, you're thinking Minnesota. Wait, and you're wanting people and
0: Minnesota confused. Wait, wait, guys, don't worry. I'm super smart, and I'm going to break the science down for you. Every really clear
1: way. You're now wanting people to trust us. Trust or me entirely. <laughs> uh, nobody
0: ever gave me a test of the United States. Uh, well, they probably did, except probably cram in for it. multiple grades. <laughs> We're, We're
2: Probably starting second. I think that's where Dre is learning. Right
0: you know now. what? Somebody, they should. Can, yeah, so that was a long time ago. Excellent point. Thank you. you have a right Very to
2: block much. out certain memories. You do. If, I mean, if it affects states... my
0: functioning. This is how often I'm talking about the chef. Patricia knew immediately to reference that Kentucky Fried Chicken Chef. And <laughs> you're talking just, <laughs> Kentucky the Fried states, Chicken? The Midwest <laughs> forms some. Some Kentucky fried chicken. A Kentucky no, a chef, a chef that's making Kentucky fried chicken. Uh-huh. The Kentucky the state of Kentucky is the chicken in the pan. See, it's not even what? it's whoa, not whoa, even. Whoa, a thing hold
1: that's on. What's me. the pan though? It's
0: Tennessee. That's
1: why Utah. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's not Kansas is not in the pan, which is feels like the only one I should have nailed. <laughs> and guys, Kansas is firmly no wonder they get so many tornadoes. They're not far. They're not far from me. Anyways, so they use data from these three different states and they specifically use their pregnancy risk <laughs> assessment oh monitoring systems. Which is an annual survey of uh, a stratified sample of moms, meaning each state is helping to uh, grab representative samples, moms who look like the makeup of each of their states, right. Um, So it's two to eight months after a live birth and it's administered not just by the state health departments, but also by the CDC. And what they do is they link birth certificate data with surveys about moms and infants before, during, and after pregnancy. So this study pulled births that happened between 2012 and 2015. So their sample size was somewhere over 8,100. So there's a lot of live births that they grabbed from those three states during those few years. Um, And they also combined that information with data from each of the three states. They use follow-up surveys. So the states themselves use follow-up surveys that recontact moms who were part of that uh, risk assessment monitoring system and have them fill out additional surveys when the babies then two to three years old early childhood ask about the health and well-being of them as young children and moms so the states do that and then these uh, these researchers pulled all of that data across uh, ze- zero states having to do with the Kentucky Fried Chicken Chef And then they, uh, they asked a few questions about um, not the researchers, sorry, to be clear, the risk assessment monitoring systems in each of these states, they ask questions about pregnancy intention. So they ask moms at the time, uh, around the time of the birth, thinking back to just before you got pregnant with your new baby, how did you feel about becoming pregnant? And they can answer, for example, I wanted to be pregnant later. I wanted to be Mm. pregnant sooner. I wanted to be pregnant then Or I didn't want to be pregnant then or at any time in the future. Or I wasn't really sure what I wanted. So that Mm. last category, these researchers categorize categorize as unsure, which is also new. And I think important because, I mean, even just thinking about these categories of intended versus, uh, which is wanting to be pregnant then or even sooner versus unwanted, never wanting to be pregnant or unsure. And then they also categorize mistimed. How much longer did you want to wait to become pregnant Is an additional question that uh, these moms answered. Mm -hmm. So if it was less than two years or two or more years, like it was mistimed, but, or it was mistimed by a lot. Right. Um, Even those categories sort of I mean, are really simplifications, right, of the experience of becoming pregnant, let alone becoming a mom and experiencing birth, right? So it's yeah. it's more nuance and variation than we usually capture, which is fantastic. And also thinking about thinking about my own experience, like I mean, which day were you going to ask me that question? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was, oh, uh, I brutal. you know, I wanted to be pregnant sooner. Um, I I also wanted to be pregnant then, and then after I learned I was pregnant, sometimes I was like, oh man, I'm, oh I'm not really sure about was this really the time and should I have waited, right? So I think it's, I think it's really, really important um, how they've looked at the nuance of this. And uh, so essentially they end up with data that looks at these births um, and follows moms and kids from this uh, from infancy through early childhood. In each of the ways that they tested how pregnancy intention was related to the moms and kids' health, they also accounted for, and this is really, really important. They accounted for mom's education, age, marital status. A term called birth parity which means whether it's the first second or third or more birth so if uh so you could account for oh. if it's an unwanted and first birth versus unwanted and fourth okay. birth okay. in case that you know makes a difference uh race and ethnicity which state they were residing in whether the mom had Medicaid coverage for that prenatal care and reported stress events during the 12 months prior to that birth that they experienced which I think on average was a few stress events and they they looked at that a few different ways but and essentially what they they're doing is accounting for um, these characteristics of these moms and families before any of the later health outcomes happen. Um, They're looking at both the association sort of purely to see whether intention is linked to health, but also then in addition, accounting for all of these other variables, which we know is already linked to pregnancy intention, and health outcomes, so they can account for that. And what they found was just sort of a baseline, socially and economically advantaged moms were far mm. more likely to have intended births than their peers, other moms who were significantly more disadvantaged. And that's a really- question?
1: Mm -hmm. Remind me, how did they measure socioeconomically advantaged versus disadvantaged?
0: So they're looking at, again, they're looking at education. They're looking at Medicaid coverage for that birth. They're looking at, and I don't know if marital status was uh, part of how they categorize people as like economically disadvantaged per se, Mm. but they did look at other markers of socioeconomic status. And that, so that difference is due to really differences in who has unintended pregnancies. So the difference in intended births is tied to, related to uh, differences in who has unintended pregnancies and who takes those pregnancies to term.
1: Mm.
0: So I think it's important to remember that uh, women who are denied abortions that they want to have have. Experience worse mental and financial health, mm-hmm. long term, short and long term, when compared to similar women who also want an abortion but are also able to obtain a termination of that pregnancy. So and all these
1: pregnancies were uh, between all of
0: these data are birth, right? right? And, but, but yeah. they
1: and they were between 2012 and 2015.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. So they precede our some of the current variations in states changing these laws. Yep, right. absolutely important. So people who had intended pregnancies were more likely to be married, have a college degree, less likely to have Medicaid coverage for prenatal care, they experienced fewer stress events, they were more likely to be white if that was intended or pregnancy was mistimed by less than two years. Um, so those groups already look different from the start. Mm. When you're thinking about how they report whether their pregnancy was intended or not, let alone who gets to the birth experience and uh, has live birth in their care therefore captured in this data set, right? So what they did find was that women who reported that their pregnancy was unintended were also more likely to report adverse prenatal experiences, meaning, they were less likely to receive early prenatal care. They are more likely to smoke in the last three months of pregnancy. That's actually for if the pregnancy was unwanted or they were unsure about it, which is mm. also really interesting and less likely to recognize pregnancy in the first eight weeks. For time pregnancies, those kids actually have lower odds of having a serious injury in the last year compared to pregnancies, kids resulting from pregnancies that were wanted then or sooner. So that's a better health outcome for pregnancies that are mistimed. Mm-hmm. And there's this possible relationship that they find between unwanted pregnancy and, or mistimed pregnancies and, and, potentially greater postpartum depression immediately after the birth and also in these follow-up periods. So it's possible that for moms, there are short and long-term worse mental health outcomes, although that varied in some of how they looked at the data. They did not find any links between pregnancy intention and breastfeeding, having a PCP for a child, limited child activity, Onset of intimate partner violence two to three years after birth, there was very little that was really significantly tied to what these moms and kids' health outcomes look like, which I think is important for several different reasons. I think, of course, this is self report of what we would consider very sensitive information. There's also enough variation in how women report these things that they're able to find these links in some ways until they are accounting for all of these maternal characteristics, right? And it's only women who gave birth, which is something that I think you were just pointing to Patricia. It's not, it's not pregnancies total. Mm -hmm. It's all resulting from people who experienced live births. And so I think it's very, very interesting that at most we find a relationship between whether pregnancy is intended or not. And some of these prenatal experiences that moms have when they're pregnant, but that is not really tied to moms or babies, health outcomes, short or long-term, and they're defining long-term over the first few years, of this kid's life. So I'm curious what you all thought or how you all were reacting as you read this mm-hmm. really interesting paper.
2: Yeah, I was very interested in the article just because I think so many women are, I think, in situations sometimes when they have kids and they question whether or not they felt prepared and what the impact could be on their children. And I think an article like this helps, I mean, at least when I read it, it helps me feel like, okay, well, there's a level of resiliency. There's a level of sure. adaptability. Like women can really pick up, you know, what might be an unexpected event in their life, a really big one, and still find ways to adapt um, Adapt fairly quickly, right? Because it's it's, it's not a lot of months that you have to really sort of come to terms with the idea Mm -hmm. that you're going to have a forever person in your life here and that you're going to be fully responsible for that person for however many years. But I I think that was really um, something that I took away. And just, I think, again, connecting me to the female spirit and how we constantly Mm. take what's given, whether it's intended, unintended, unwanted, and still find ways to, Mm. you know, show up for Mm. our children. And so, but I, and at the same time, I was also really surprised by the child outcomes I think when I think about an unintended or unwanted event, right, I granted this is not just any typical event, right, having a child, but just in general, when something happens that you don't prepare for that's this large and significant, it can promote stress, it can promote anxiety, and we know that stress and anxiety from the research really clearly lays out just the, the impact, the adverse impact that it can have on children's outcomes, right, in terms of prenatal impact that it has. So increased risk of a range of problems that they struggle with, including emotional problems, increased diagnosis of things like ADHD, cognitive development, just to name a few. And so I think a lot of those diagnoses, those symptoms though, don't manifest within those first couple of years. Sure. Good point. So I'd be really Mm. curious beyond Mm -hmm. age three, if those things were to be you know symptoms that they start to notice where they become more distinct early mm-hmm. on it's really hard to tell if it's just your child being fussy or having gas versus if Jeez. they're dealing with regulation issues right mm-hmm. so i'm i was really curious to think about like some of the longer term child outcomes that mm-hmm. might be might be there so that that stood out to me because i think like i initially said there's a level and you know there's a lot of adaption that happens but i also mm-hmm. think the stress anxiety of trying to get to that point where you're adapting, can physiologically have an impact. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing that came to mind for me is like, oh, I would be curious to see if, you know, in future studies, if they could do some more, you know, closer examination assessment of some of the physiological responses that are happening when someone has an unintended unwanted or, you know, when a child before they were ready. Um, mm-hmm. by a couple of years. I'd be really curious if they could do some sure. physiological testing, because I think that could help us understand, okay, for those, like, how are women coping with that? Like it clearly sure. like, and how, how are their bodies responding to that? And then looking at the impact that could
0: have long-term. Mm-hmm.
2: So that, that's well, how, are
0: these, how do you tease that out from the other kinds of structural disadvantage that they're experiencing and the level of stress that that contributes? Right. Is it really about whether the pregnancy was intend- intended or not, or the fact that people who can maybe be more resilient have resources, right. we have resources in place, right? They have access to health insurance. They're not worried about health insurance. They don't aren't going to lose health insurance until recently, six weeks after birth in Texas, right? So, like thinking about that stress response from a pregnancy intention lens, really also wanting to think about how how much of the intentionality matters versus are those women yeah. either different or it sounds like much more likely different in how we support them and what they have access to. Right. right.
1: I was meeting with, I had a, a a community meeting and I was talking to this brilliant, high powered CEO, which I don't usually rub shoulders with such people, but in this case I did. <laughs> um, and we were talking about like relationships and planning. And she said, which really stuck with me that a girlfriend of hers said, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, which we've all heard. But nowadays, if you want to have a child, you need to be able to afford to buy that village, because that village is not there for us anymore. And it really rang true to mm. to me at how much generally having a child costs but in our current society the structures of what our village used to be due to mm. having to move away from family because of job opportunities or the the you know lack of community i think we've talked previously about um, community generally and having to lean on them just aren't there like they maybe used to uh or aren't as affordable as as they used to be so that really her saying that I heard that voice throughout this this mm-hmm. reading this study I I also really am curious about what this looks like for our rural families I know particularly in Tennessee and I'm sure in as part many parts of Texas, where you are, Sarah, there is a desert of OBs and prenatal care. If there is a hospital in a county, the number of hospitals delivering children or the number of OBs in a county um, sometimes are zero. So the opportunity to get this prenatal care barrier to get this prenatal care is much higher and therefore much more costly. If you're going to have to drive an hour and a half to your doctor, two hours to your OB, sometimes once a week, taking that time off of work, finding childcare for other children you have, oftentimes just becomes impossible. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about those families mm-hmm. as well in the context of this study. Obviously, I know they did not examine examine that, but it's something curi- I'm curious about for f- future studies as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would guess each of these three states, risk assessment, monitoring systems, capture some, or maybe a, a decent number of rural moms and babies yeah. in their sample rate, Oklahoma, Alaska, Arkansas. Missouri. that was the third one, no, Missouri oh. was the third one, remember?
1: M-O, oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Alaska I make... is A-K, sorry, I yeah, was... yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, sorry, what's yeah. Arkansas, yeah. AR. Yeah.
0: sorry, Oof. A-R, don't ask me. I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> it's somewhere nearby. Um, but uh, but they didn't test rurality as a possible component of this. And you're absolutely right. That could really impact accessibility of care support systems. I mean, a number of these variables, income, et cetera. So the mm-hmm. other thing
2: that stood out to me, it um, maybe not stood out, but a question that it raised for me was around when you find out you're um, pregnant, and it's unintended or unwanted or say mis- mistimed, just how quickly sometimes that can shift if the there's an attachment that you start to quickly develop with your fetus, right? So the prenatal attachment and how that comes to look for intended versus unintended pregnancies and to see if how that might add as some buffer, right, around mm-hmm. some of these stress factors that we were talking about and, and anxiety that it might promote. Because, you know, I, I talked to moms when they talk about like, I didn't intend to get pregnant. I wasn't expecting this, but immediately I started to bond with the child right sure. and how that just because you didn't plan it doesn't mean once it's once that child comes to exist sure. right that there isn't some security some bonding that happens almost immediately I'd be really curious to see more research that really talks about yeah. how quickly that transpires once discovers they're pregnant intended versus unintended mm-hmm. yeah well that that
0: can shift for people with intended pregnancy I mean right. I I would say mm-hmm. that for myself mm-hmm. as I just described, I mean, my pregnancy with my daughter was intended, but I mean, who the emotional upheaval Mm -hmm. of, I, that took me at least a trimester before I started feeling attached at all to that experience because Mm -hmm. it just felt immediately very foreign. And I mean, we certainly know how powerful that connection is and, and protective against some of the depression kids health outcomes that you were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier, those links to us. so, yeah, really interesting question. So, What I think a really very important takeaway from this work and this kind of work and thinking about how we support families, especially, is that what, what they're finding here using a really large data set across several different segments of the U.S. is that pregnancy intention matters a whole heck of a lot less for moms' and kids' well-being than many other markers of socioeconomic disadvantage and how our structural policy level sort of impact on health and how we support families. So we they saw some links between intention around pregnancy and mom's prenatal, what they're calling behaviors, for example, their experiences but not infant or most childhood outcomes. And so, but on the flip side, so much of our policy and so much of how we talk about pregnancy really, really focuses on pregnancy intention. And yet they're not really finding a whole lot here that that matters beyond the pregnancy itself. And so I think what the authors argue for and what I think is a really important takeaway is that if we have a move towards really focusing policy on ameliorating some of the problematic Mm -hmm. social structure, some of these conditions that people are living in that, you know, are are perpetuated where we don't spend policy energy, where we don't support, you know, these moms with young babies, and we don't support families at really sort of very critical parts of our development. If we, I mean, the authors also point to reproductive autonomy, if we're thinking about all of the negative health outcomes that we know do happen for people who have access to terminating a pregnancy versus those who do not, these are the things that we could, could enhance their policy if we actually wanted to improve health outcomes and if we wanted to support these families in meaningful ways. And I I really appreciate the authors interpreting what you could read as a lot of null findings, right? A lot of significance not found, significance not found, and and thinking about what could this mean Mm -hmm. for what is actually important and what we know does affect moms and kids' health. And we could pour more time and energy into supporting families at that really, really important stage. M-
1: moms and families, to be clear. I agree. To add to that and potentially put it a slightly uh, different way, so often policy is geared around blaming the mother. Uh, they intended it or didn't intend it. Let's let's fix them. It was their fault. And I think what this research points to is the our societal structures are not in place to like you were saying, support parents.
0: Yep, they, what they're looking at are things as basic as we consider it basic. It's not basic because it's mm-hmm. a, variables we talk about in every single study. Every single time we talk about families, we talk about education, we talk about socioeconomic access, right? We talk about health insurance. The fact that they can include a variable about, I mean, it, where where I am, we've not expanded Medicaid in the state of Texas. We only just changed the Medicaid for pregnant and postpartum women to extend from six weeks to 12 weeks. I'm, I'm not even sure if that went into effect now or January, that's mm-hmm. how new it is. And so the, these are, these are sort of basic human needs
2: mm-hmm.
0: that we think of as basic, but they're clearly not because we can, we have to test how it impacts these health outcomes because we know that they do, and we know that there's so much variation and how this occurs for moms across literally these are three states in sort of
1: distinct parts of the country. So I think really important. Thank you for listening to Attached. If you're interested, a link to the study is in the show notes. As always, your reviews and ratings help more people find us. So please consider to rate and review Attached on your favorite app. Finally, if you have any relationship questions you want us to talk about, email us at attachedpodcast.gmail.com or get at us on the social medias, all at Attached Podcast. We cannot wait to talk about it.